Welcome to In Context, coming to you from Vine Sanctuary, an LGBTQ-led farmed animal refuge in Vermont. We bring you conversations with authors and organizers exploring the connections between animal advocacy, race, gender, and social justice to help put today's big questions in context. Welcome to In Context. I'm Patrice Jones, zooming to you from Vine Sanctuary, an LGBTQ-led farmed animal sanctuary in Springfield, Vermont. And I'm here with the always fabulous writer, thinker, and activist Christopher Sebastian. And nobody knows what we're going to say today, least of all us. Before we jump in to our conversation, I'm thinking about an animal at the sanctuary called Sharky, who was a rooster rescued from cockfighting several years ago, and who I think you met, Christopher, when you visited the sanctuary. Like many survivors of that form of animal abuse, Sharky didn't want to be involved in any kind of drama, and he made it really clear that he didn't want to go to sleep in the coops every night. He liked to spend time by himself far from the barn. So we made him his own little apartment right by the Airstream trailer where I was living. And he had his own little house, Sharky's Place. He was a proud homeowner. And uh, then Rocky started coming around courting Sharky uh, and trying to get Sharky's romantic attention. Sharky was not actually interested in Rocky, but he responded in exactly the way that you would want people to respond to polite but unwanted overtures, which is he was like, eh, I'm not feeling it, but let's be friends. So he and Rocky were friends. Some ducks and geese were friends. And then came a time when a duckling was abandoned by her mother and Sharky invited her to move into his house with her aunt. And so for quite a few months, there was this little house in which a rooster rescued from cockfighting, an abandoned duckling and her aunt all lived together with Sharky and the duck co-parenting the duckling. Uh, several months after that, the ducks moved over to another coop and Sharky stayed where he was for a while. And then he was like, you know what? I think I want to follow them. So then he moved to where they were uh, when he got to meet hens and was pretty excited about that. And I am I think he came to my mind because we're, we're, we're supposed to talk about queering animal liberation today. And while um, I'm not entirely sure of Sharky's sexual orientation, his approach to relationships was definitely queer. He was ready to have his queer family and his queer circle of friends and, um, and be fabulously himself, despite the fact that he started off life in a form of animal abuse that was designed to force him to enact toxic masculinity. And he just was not interested in toxic masculinity. 
which brings me uh, to our guest, Christopher Sebastian. Sebastian, I'm always so excited to see you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. And uh, you are someone who absolutely has rejected toxic masculinity. And I've heard you uh, talk about that uh, in, in many facets uh, as a Black gay man who is devoted uh, to the self-determination and freedom of animals. So I want to invite you to share any of your thoughts about that before we delve into some of the other things that, that we might want to talk about today. Oh man, toxic masculinity is one of those things that does come up for me over and over again. Um, simply because like when you look at me by sheer presentation, I'm not like an overtly masculine man, like, you know, all of the traditional markers of like, you know, of, of masculinity. Um, and it's always been like that for me. So it's always been a struggle as someone who kind of sits like a little femme of center um, like, you know, with like this, this world that, that really upholds and uplifts toxic masculinity. Um, because like, you know, I don't like, I don't fit into any of those boxes and it's really difficult for me to navigate the world. Or let me rephrase that. It had been difficult for me to navigate the world, like as my authentic self, um, until I made a conscious decision that like, like I belong here. Um, and inviting other people to like make that decision for themselves as well in my life. So yeah, like that's that that had been really hard for me. Um, and I won't lie that it's still hard at times right now. Um, like it does have its challenges. It's always challenging to live as your authentic self every day. But I have a lot of support that I'm deeply, deeply grateful for. And I want to make space for other people to do the same um, as often as I can and wherever I can. Do you do you see toxic masculinity um, as harming um, animals as well as humans? Absolutely, undoubtedly. Like you know, like I never ever ever get tired of talking about like one of my points of entry into like the world of animal activism being through the work of Carol Adams. Um, and like, I think her book is like over 25 years old now, The Sexual Politics of Meat. And when I read that, a lot of light bulbs went off for me and really started me down a path of interrogating for myself um, what like, you know, what, what a, an animal friendly world would look like um, if we didn't like exploit other animals and like treat them as if they're objects that are here for our like you know for our use um and for our enjoyment and like so so yeah like that's that the toxic masculinity clearly has like you know has had an impact on like our animal friends and like you know and and family members mm -hmm. like even in the story that you were just telling about sharky who i am not at all like upset got on the property ladder before i did um with with his lovely home but like you know like the fact that like you know the fact that toxic toxic masculinity um, like, you know, has defined what relationships, what family relationships are supposed to look like. Um, and the exclusion of other animals from what a quote, real family is. Like, you know, a family is defined as a man, a woman, 2.4 children or whatever the decimal percentage is of like, you know, how many children is ideal. And like, you know, for so many people, queer people, straight people, like, you know what, our families, 
are chosen, our families look significantly different. And like, you know, and I resent any ideology that like, you know, that tells me that my family like is, is incomplete or my family is like, you know, is, is a counterfeit or that like my family is not valid because it doesn't fit the model that like, you know, this patriarchal system that we live in is like, you know, it's it, the way that that's set up. And so like, you know, like I, I do fight against that. And like, you know, and I challenge anyone to tell me that like, you know, that, that my, my non-human family members are not my family members to discount that, to discount the grief that we experience when they pass on from this world, like, you know, to discount, like, you know, the, the, the celebrations that we have, the, the real and meaningful relationships that we have with one another. Um, and that's just one of the many ways that, like, you know, that, that toxic masculinity, like, you know, intrudes on our personal lives and on a subconscious level, because most of the time we're not even thinking about it. And then I hear a story like Sharky's, where yeah, he has adopted yeah. this entire large family, right. um, like, you know, of, of, of multiple species, no less. And, right. and that's like, that's beautiful to me. It, it was it was among the most beautiful uh, 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 family groupings I've ever had the the pleasure of of I guess I was part of his extended family so participating in uh, but I'm thinking about as you say that I'm thinking about how sometimes even animal advocates don't quite understand uh, when we say we're interested in queering animal liberation, what we mean by queering. Um, and because sometimes people think, well, that's only about like including LGBTQ plus uh, people or thinking specifically about the intersections between homophobia and transphobia and speciesism, all of which are included in, in what I think about of its queering animal liberation. Uh, but, but, but I think of this word queering as larger than that. And also thinking about queering what it means to be human, queering what we mean by a family. Uh, and so, so many people, regardless of their sexual orientation, as you say, have a much queerer conception of family uh, than the heteronormative norm, uh, and so I was so happy that you that you brought that up in the in in the queering animal liberation workshops that we've done at Vine for more than twenty years now. Very frequently, uh, straight male participants will talk about being called homophobic uh, slurs. Uh, because they uh, refuse to eat meat or refuse to go hunting um, or refuse to participate in some other mm, form of animal abuse that's coded as traditionally masculine. And one of those is trapping. And that reminds me of a story that I've heard you tell um, about a trapper in California. Can, can, can you share this with, with our viewers? Yeah, absolutely. This is actually a really great story. Um, I read about it in the LA Times, although I'm sure that it was in multiple newspapers. And I'm paraphrasing the quote here. Um, but like, you know, the, the, the premise of the, the story is that fewer people are wearing fur um like for for various reasons for like you know for ethical reasons for environmental reasons and whatever have you 
and the trappers were complaining. Um, but basically there was a quote from one trapper um, who went up by the name of Nick, Ken, Nick Katrina, um, I believe his name was. And, um, and his, his, the quote that they had chosen in this particular article was that like animal rights groups are led by their terrorist organizations led by lesbians um, who are going to like, you know, ban trapping um, and in their march toward communism are also going to ban fur. What, what you're saying is that he's saying that animal rights organizations are A, terrorist organizations, B, led by lesbians, and our form of terrorism is to ban trapping. And we're coming for hunting too, as part of our communist agenda. Oh, right, as part of our communist agenda. You know, I Don't mean, some of this is true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, this is like, it's like, we don't make a secret out of it. (laughs) I I personally have t-shirts. And wouldn't it be great if like, if animal rights organizations were led by lesbians? Like, I feel like we would be a lot more productive on a personal level. I think that like, we would be way better organized. But like, but yeah, I, I absolutely love this quote. But I feel like in, in saying this, this is an example of someone saying the quiet part out loud. Mm. Um, like, because coded within this, as you were saying, is like, you know, is, is the, what we, is what we really feel about not just queer people, but in particular targeting lesbians Mm. as like the leaders of this organization, of these organizations really like reveals like, you know, the, the inherent fear, um, that these people have of like, of deposing um, like, you know, toxic masculinity of like, of patriarchal values and like, you know, and really isolating them and, and exposing them for what they are. Um, and marrying this to communism as well is just like, you know, it's another like dog whistle, if you have, um, like, you know, that, that these people engage in. And so I'm really grateful for people like, um, like Mr. Katrina, who like, you know, who, who actually say these things very, very publicly um, and kind of revealing what the thought process is um, and allowing us to like, you know, to have some sort of insight into the unconscious messaging that's actually going out there to people that they consider to be part of their in-group and who they consider to be part of their out-groups. I, when, when you're talking, I was, I was remembering this experience that I had um, in the summer of 2020, or it might've been the spring of 2021. So uh, Vine Sanctuary helped to, to uh, organize a weekly Black Lives Matter vigil in our small and almost all white uh, town of Springfield, Vermont. And so we were out there every Friday afternoon and uh, in the good weather, uh, often had really interesting conversations uh, with people, uh, in which I learned a lot of things, uh, about how people think, but I'm thinking in particular of this one episode where the the vigil had ended and Anna Barini and I were carrying the signs back to our cars. And this man who had driven past honking his horn angrily, and then parked in the parking lot, uh, came charging up to us, uh, accusing us of, of various things. Communism was definitely in there. Destroying the family was definitely in there. Um, uh, uh, but there came a point when I very, in a very mild mannered tone, he was very aggressive 
And if we weren't in quite such a public place in the daylight, it would have been a bit scary. Uh, his body posture. And, and at some point, I, in a pretty mild matter and tone, acknowledged that I was, in fact, a lesbian who uh, did, in fact, um, support socialism and did, in fact, think that the family needed to be uh, reconfigured. Aren't you the worst? He, wait, 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 wait. He literally jumped backwards in fear. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> jumped this guy who had been like charging at us with his big ass truck that probably had a gun in it and he was all bulked up and he had been charging at us home and then been backing off but then charging again sort of like a rooster in a cockfighting match and then when i was just like well you know yeah we kind of do need to reconfigure yes i am a lesbian and we we do need to reconfigure the family boom this isn't hard, by the way. <laughs> I actually want these things, yeah. <laughs> Imagine, like, you know, like this is, like what's really also really funny about the story is that like, you know, this is an example of how like, just like absolute, like absolute honesty, like, like blindingly bright honesty. Like, you know, like it absolutely just puts the fear of God in people. Like, like you literally frightened this man by confessing to the agenda that he already knew that you had. And it was well, but, but yes, and, and and it was it was funny um, in the moment, but it also really got me thinking about the degree to which fear is driving, you know, some of this aggressive backlash. I mean, it was so instinctive the way that he literally, it was like a cartoon, the way that he jumped backwards in fear. And, and then it became just so clear to see that oh. just like roosters in cockfighting, whose aggressive behavior, by the way, is entirely due to terror and having been socialized to the point where they don't know what to do with that terror except attack. Um, it, it, I, I, I can't quite clarify, but he reminded me of, you know, a rooster who had been traumatized into cockfighting. Absolutely. And, and, and of course, it, like, of course he would remind you of that because at the end of the day, like one of the things that we forget is that like, we as humans are not special. Like the idea of us being exceptional to all of the other species on this planet is an absurdity. It's not based on any type of scientific fact or reality. And we are just animals with our own instinctive responses. And that fear response is one of the things that is not entirely universal, but like the way that we like the way the way that you describe it, it's like it's something that we do observe in many different types of like persons, irrespective of their species. And it is so funny that like, you know, that, that this is a fear response. Um, like you literally confirmed like his worst fears, but more importantly, what exactly it is that he's afraid of. Right. Larger families that are much more meaningful, that are chosen. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like a world in which we take care of one another. Right, uh, healthcare for everybody, so scary. 
how? <laughs> and again, but, it's it's, re- it's revealing. But I, I guess, and so I don't want to like I don't want to laugh at it too much, even though you know, given the degree to which he aggressed me, uh, you know, then I feel like it's fair to laugh at him. But 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 still, it just and what you just said reminds me that we you know we humans were not the supreme beings who we think we are. A huge piece of mm, the human supremacy ideology is this idea that we're the rational animal and that um, that the things we think up in our heads are what drive our behaviors. Uh, when in fact, it's, a, it's, a, it's an intermingling of emotion and reason. And if anything, emotion is a stronger driver mm. of behavior than, than reason. Uh, but I notice among many activists, not just in animal advocacy, but particularly in animal advocacy, um, activists crafting their strategies as though humans were rational animals. Oh, oh yeah. Like that's, <laughs> that's one of the, like, that's one of the things that, that I end up speaking about so frequently these days. Um, especially like looking, um, looking at the way that animal activism is done across social media. One of the, one of the things that we have most rewarded, I would say, um, like on social media is this style of activism that like that, that overvalues logic, the logic bros, if you will, um, as they, as they're called on the internet. And like, you know, and, and we're going to reason our way to liberation mm-hmm. by having these conversations with people. And once people have perceived all of the things that I've had to say, and like they have like internalized all of the knowledge that I, as the speaker, have conferred upon them, um, then they'll go vegan, they'll become activists, they will advocate for animals, they'll do all of the things, mm-hmm. all of the things. Um, when in reality, like that is just a reproduction, A, it's a reproduction of like the missionary style activism that like, you know, we see in like evangelical Christianity, which is largely a white construction, um, a patriarchal construction. And, um, and I know Breeze Harper has talked about that. Um, and secondly, it is actually not that effective. It doesn't work that way. By sheer numbers, like even if we had converted every single person that we spoke to, and I do hate the word conversion, um, like we would still not outnumber the, like the number of people that are born into a world that is violently bigoted towards other animals every single minute. Um, and it just, it actually doesn't work that way. Like, you know, like the, the inertia of what is familiar to us always drag, I shouldn't say always, but it oftentimes drags us back into that violent animal bigotry mm-hmm. and like you know and and it is it is it like it is that 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 reasoning um when in when in fact most i would say most like most types of domination are driven by power they're driven by emotion um we are not rational beings that we proclaim to be um and that is the unfortunate reality for me, another piece of queering animal liberation is approaching the emotion side. Of, 
of course, we want to say logical things when that's appropriate, especially if you're talking to someone who seems like they're going to uh, be motivated uh, to bring themselves into some sort of logical consistency. Uh, but I feel that Mm, it's probably going to be more effective to inspire people to reach for what they want. And everybody wants relationships, good relationships, regardless of, of, of sexuality, we want queer relationships. We want relationships that are beyond the binaries that have been imposed on us. We want to be part of the rich world of, of inner relationships, or at least our bodies want that. And uh, through our socialization into toxic masculinity, into animal abuse, and into the gender binary and so many other problematic constructions, uh, we end up reaching for pleasure in ways that aren't particularly pleasurable by trying to dominate and control other people or buying stuff. And it seems to me that uh, our deep relationships with other animals, including but not, not, not limited to other humans, are what's much more ritually rewarded, rewarding. Uh, and so uh, for me, I feel like queering animal liberation has got to be at least a part about pulling people toward that, uh, activating that wish for relationship rather than logical argumentation. Do, do you think so? 100% yes. 100% yes. Like, I would absolutely say that, like, you know, like, like, conversations like how do I put this this is something that like has really troubled me on a number of levels for a long time um when we talk about like what is effective activism or what is effective advocacy so many times we are talking about like you know like being reasonable um and and trying to stay away from an emotional place and that, on a personal level, that has been really hard for me. Um, if I could be frank, one of the things that, like, you know, that, that troubles me as a queer person, as a Black person, is the number of queer people and Black people and queer Black people who have specifically given guidance to myself and to others that we should focus a lot of our work on things that are more concrete, if you will, i.e. focusing our advocacy on, on health, focusing our advocacy on like, you know, on environmental issues. Um, and that's been a harm for me. That's been a harm for me because like I have internalized that advice and I tried to follow that advice and largely it has been ineffective. Not because, not only because it's been like inauthentic for me, but like I I don't see that as being a liberatory work. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately what people have like have sought to do, and I say people, hashtag not all, but like you know, what 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 a lot of people have sought to do is try to make their work, make their advocacy 
for the other person that they're advocating to, I want to, I want to put something in it for you. There's something in this for you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you, like, if you do this thing, it, like, if you do X, Y will happen. If you go vegan, for example, like, we'll save water, the climate will be cleaner, you'll have a better place to live. Um, not necessarily demonstrated to be true. If you, like, you know, if, if, if you, like, do this, then you'll have a better health outcome. And that's not necessarily proven to be true. And in many cases, it's an incredibly ableist framing of like, you know, of, of our work. For me, what has felt most honest, what has felt most compelling, and what I have had greatest success with is talking to people honestly about our shared liberation and the need for our shared liberation. Um, and so much of this I've learned from you, watching your talks, the commonality of oppression um, like th- that, that, that you have described, like, you know, is just a, a way of observing the need for integrating animal liberation into our queer work and vice versa. Um, it's been like, that has been revolutionary for me because you're talking about like, you know, not what's in it for you, but what's in it for us together. Mm-hmm. That is so empowering to me. That is so queer to me. <laughs> because it's like, you know, like what the, these ideas that we need to talk about things that are very concrete and that like, you know, and that have some measurable reward for you as an individual. That to me feels incredibly, incredibly like toxic, incredibly like, you know, like that feels like to me, like something that comes from like this, this, this patriarchal, like very dominant framing. Because like what 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 is it about like you know someone else's liberation project? Do what why do I need to benefit from that? Hear Solidarity you. is not about that, not for me anyway. So I'm I mean I'm very grateful for 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 that understanding that I got from from you and from 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 others that have been doing exactly that work. It has really like it has it has very much cleared me up. It has freed me in many ways. Well, that's so good to hear because um, I, I I like the idea of you free uh, and feel feeling free. My feeling is a, a little mixed. I feel like I feel like hmm, I feel like it's okay for me. I'm just saying for me, I feel like it's okay, especially if I'm talking to someone who's got struggles um to um so let them know uh the ways that um eating more fruits and vegetables could be good and they probably already know that so it's more a matter of working to create access to that um and uh i feel like it's okay to talk to talk about climate and to talk about all these things as long as it's within this um liberatory framework that you talk about um, so I don't have quite the negative reaction you have to maybe leading with something that you know is on someone's mind, uh, whether that be um, pollution of the environment or their personal health, um, as long as that's within a framework of, of what's good for us, not just what's good for you. As you put, I love the way you put that, not what's in it for you, but what's in it for us together. 
and creating that feeling of us. Yeah, no, like that's like, and that's, that is profoundly true. That is profoundly true. I think that like where, like, there are a couple of things that operate like, you know, in, in my mind when I'm going through this process. Number one, like when I, like I never, oh boy, this is, this is the part where I start getting into trouble, right? I, I rarely am doing like, quote, animal advocacy, if you will, to marginalized people who are like, you know, who, who are, 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 are living hand to mouth, if you will, um, who are in like d- dire circumstances. The work that I do, like, you know, within those communities is for them. Like I, like, I don't, I'm not going leafleting in, in, in the hood, if you will. And so like, so for me, like this isn't something that actually comes up in, in my work, although I know that it does for others. And the other thing is that like, you know, like what, what you had said about access is so important. Because if I am having conversations with, like, you know, with, with people who don't have the level of privilege that I've got, like, my conversation is about how can I make your life easier while also, like, making sure that, like, we are minimizing your participation in this exploitative system. And this is why, like, I so strongly support your work, the work of, like, of, of food empowerment projects, the, the work of, like, food justice organization. Mm-hmm. that are actively like you know creating that access mm-hmm. um because like food justice is an adjacent issue that we absolutely need to address but like you know but i'm i'm never going to people and and making it like you know and and making like animal advocacy like the the framework that i'm hanging their food justice around if you will mm-hmm. um but i am integrating that like that liberation into the work that i'm doing in those communities and I just want to say one more thing about like climate. Like I was actually working on a piece that I was writing um, just last week, and I came across the statistic that like you know that was talking about us collectively staying within our climate goals um, of like staying under one and a half points, um, one and a half degrees Celsius, um, like you know, or in order to avoid the worst effects of climate change in the future, which we're rapidly running out of time to do. And one of the statistics that I came across was the fact that like 50% of like, you know, of, of people um, right now, including people in the USA, which we consider a quote, first world nation, if you will, which like all of that is problematic language unto itself. But like 50% of people in like, you know, in, in Western countries are already living within their climate budget for, that, for those projections. It's the top 10%. It's the top 10%. And so the utility of going to people and telling them, you got to stop eating animals, man. When their lifestyle, which includes their diet, which includes the textiles that they buy, which includes like all of the other ways that we exploit animals, like, you know, already is within our climate budgets. And so it feels in some ways fundamentally dishonest it feels like you know you're giving credence to the people that are saying like what do you look like going to poor people and telling them what they need to do when it's like you know the top percentage of people that are actually causing climate change and I stopped and I looked at that statistic and I'm like well they're kind of right you know like and so so for me like you know having that conversation about climate like you know again an adjacent interrelated issue these things are all woven together aren't they but like, you know, but, but it would feel for me fundamentally dishonest to say like, well, you 
person who was part of that 50% that was already living in your climate budget and like was already dealing with a mountain of other problems. You have to, it's very condescending, isn't it? You have to stop eating animals because of the, of the climate. No, you have to stop eating animals because it's a terrible thing to do. And I don't want to insult you by thinking that you can't actually think of the ethical implications of that because you can and you already do. And like we have the social science that backs that up. Poor people have a lot more empathy than rich people. And that's one of the things that like, you know, that, that really, that, 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 that operates in my mind when I'm thinking about these things. It's not an entirely negative reaction and I don't make other people wrong for doing it, but it's not the way that I want to approach my work. And so that's, that's, that's more the point that I wanted to make. And I'm so sorry, please go. Just don't be, don't be sorry. Yes. For, for me, I feel like climate is the biggest emergency for non-human animals uh, worldwide. And I mean, of course, I'm interested in um, encouraging anybody uh, to reduce or eliminate their animal product consumption uh, for any reason, including climate. Uh, I, I, I'm I want people to stop eating animals and it's it's more important to me that they do so than what is in their head um, about why they are doing so. But, but what I really want is to bring, and then we're back to the queering animal liberation and running out of time as well, is, is to, to bring people into a, more of a feeling of connectedness to quote the environment, which feels like something outside of you, as opposed to something inside of you every time you breathe in, oxygen that was made by trees and algae and, and without which you could not live. Uh, I, I'm interested in everybody uh, feeling part of the climate that is changing and, and experiencing in our own bodies um, which I think we already are. Like, I think some of this, these exaggerated fears that people have is that people already know their bodies know the climate is changing. Yeah. Um, so, so, so I, I don't, I don't know how, if I'm saying this right, but sort of just bringing people back into a feeling of, of connectedness to the environment and, and feeling part of it so that climate change becomes an emergency for us too. And we, and we, and we start to act appropriately uh, and, and, and have the energy to do it because we do feel supported by the trees. This is real. That's like, you know, this, that, now that, that to me is a different conversation and it's a necessary conversation. What I wanna avoid is giving people bad information or giving people the opportunity to reject our messaging because we have come in bad faith, if you will, um, making promises that are not necessarily backed up by the information, the, the facts that we have in front of us. That, what you describe, is a, is a different, much more radical conversation to have and making people feel connected to the world that we're living in 
like in a way that like that doesn't compartmentalize like this is where I live and then the climate or the environment is something that's far away like that doesn't affect me or that I'm not a part of mm-hmm. and that is real and a necessary thing to do um and it is empowering to give people that agency or to provide people with the tools because it sounds like you know again very like very condescending and think that like we're bequeathing an agency to people, but give people the tools to understanding that they do already have that agency and that we outnumber the people that are like, you know, that are wrecking the world um, by and large. Yeah. And, and we, we have to do that because like I said, we're running out of time metaphorically and, and physically. And literally, we are running out of time. Uh, but but speaking of radical conversations, every conversation I ever have with you is a radical conversation. And I'm so grateful that you joined me for a conversation today. I've completely forgotten, as usual, to, to help people understand uh, how who you might be uh, you work with so many different organizations. I know you wanted me to give a shout out to Encompass, uh, which you're on the advisory panel of and the Peace Advocacy Network. On uh, You're on the board of that organization. And uh, if people want to know more about you, they can Google you and find lectures galore on topics galore. Uh, and uh, and so I want to thank, ev- encourage everybody to do that. I've been speaking with Christopher Sebastian, and if you Google Christopher Sebastian, you will find some things. <laughs> I'm Patrice Jones. This has been in context. If you want to know about upcoming episodes or watch recordings of past episodes, you can visit the Vine Sanctuary website at vinesanctuary.org and look for the In Context page. I want to thank our guest, Christopher Sebastian. I want to thank our producer, Sarah Jane Blum, and I want to thank you for tuning in and for all of the amazingly queer activism you're going to do after listening to this conversation. Thank you. 